The Bible reading is, starts on page 955 of the Church Pew Bibles, for those of you who want to follow along. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Titus will tell you the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one with you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stay firm in all the will of God, mature and thankfully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you, Katie. And Liv, too. Wonderful job. Also, cracker names in there, isn't there, as we look at God's word together this morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I recognise, um, I haven't looked out enough yet, but I've seen a few new people have walked in, and there's been a number of new people that have joined us the last couple of weeks. So I'm Matt, one of the pastors here. But as we come to God's Word together, I do encourage you to have God's Word open in front of you. We're going to work through it together. Before we do, though, I'm going to pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is your Word that speaks written by humans, but inspired by your spirit. And we pray this morning that as I preach, it'll be your words and that you work amongst us, whether we're in the room or across the screen, to be formed to the likeness of Jesus and sent out in your mission to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, as Ange mentioned uh, in the beginning of the service, we're at the end of our series, uh, Captivated by Christ, which means that we're at the end of the book of Colossians. And in many ways, to me, this feels a lot like when you watch a what we're going to do is like when you watch a documentary and it's nice and you kind of feel inspired by it and it feels good for the soul, but then you get to the last episode and it just sends you out, not new content, but it just sends you out to go and action what it is that we've been uh, learning and discussing. That's very much what goes on in Colossians chapter 4. The letter stops, but it doesn't actually stop, it sends. 
It sends us out. And so in the first three chapters, just to remind you, and maybe that exercise we did before that was helpful for you as you kind of rejigged what's going on, or if you haven't been here, Colossians so far has been very much about, look how great Christ is, how amazing, how supreme. Now stand firm in Christ. There's these influences in the world that are taking you from him, but stand firm and then live his way in the world. That's what the first three chapters have been on about. Very much an internal focus to a degree. Here, in chapter 4, it's outward. Very much an outward focus. And Paul is going to say, because you've been captivated by Christ, now go and share Christ. You've been captivated by Christ, now go and share Christ with others. And that's our trajectory today. We're going to explore what it looks like for us as the church, not just individuals, but the church, what it looks like for us to be captivated by him and then to go beyond our walls, go into our community, and then to encourage one another as we do it. What it looks like to stand firm together, but then share Christ knowing that we're not alone. That's where we're going. Now, so let's dive into the passage again together. Thanks, Katie, for having it read to us before. Now, as we look at the beginning, as you look across the whole chapter, you can see it's very much in two chunks. Um, the NIV subheadings are 99 times out of 100 really helpful. Today, they're very unhelpful. Further instructions, this is next to useless for us. It actually has a very singular focus, which is the work of sharing Christ. Uh, that's what the focus is here at the beginning. In that context, it might be a little bit surprising how Paul starts. If the work is sharing Christ, he starts with, devote yourselves to prayer. Pray. And then pray. And then pray some more. And in a sense, as we think about what it looks like for us to be in the mission of God, prayer is what it should be centered on. It's centered on Jesus and how he works through us by his spirit. Verse 2 said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now that's not a statement, it's actually imperative. It means it's like a call to action, a call to, to do something. Now it's a bit of a strange word, devote yourselves. It's not common language that you and I would say. As Christians, we kind of have hijacked the word of devotion to mean like quiet times or something like that. But to be devoted means like you're steadfast, you're loyal, you're committed, you keep going. And when it comes to uh, prayer, I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we love the idea of prayer. Prayer is a good thing. We believe in it. Uh, but to actually be devoted to prayer is really hard work. It is hard work to be that kind of, uh, have that devotion. And so as we grow in our relationship with God, prayer is going to have to be intentional. Uh, one author put it this way, if we want to put, spend time with God in prayer, then we must decide to do so. It doesn't come effortlessly and will entail foregoing other things that we might enjoy. It's going to take intentionality. But this intentionality, it's not about intensity. It's just about regularity. Littered throughout the New Testament is this constant call to prayer and to persevere in prayer. Now, I was listening to a speech by Denzel Washington uh, semi-recently. I don't know if it was at the Oscars or Emmys or something like that. And he was talking, he won the award and he was inspiring people to continue in their convictions. And he said this, and this is his quote, Without commitment, you'll never start. Without consistency, you'll never finish. Without commitment, you'll never start. But with, more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. 
And it's stuck with me. That's a really helpful way for me to think about what it looks like to live the way of, of Jesus. And in this case, what it looks like to be devoted in prayer. To be devoted in prayer is about commitment and then consistency. And of course, we'll fail at that at times. Of course we will. But the irony, and to steal another quote of the fear of failure, is the fear to start. Friends, it's okay to start the journey and then to fail a couple of times. It's not capital F failure. Fall down seven times, get up eight. Keep going in what God has called us to do. And friends, we are Christians. We are the people of God. So we just fall into the gracious hands of God. That's the beautiful thing about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. So be devoted to prayer. And Paul says, as you do that, be watchful and then be thankful. I think the best way to understand what Paul is saying here is that when you pray, expect God to hear you. Expect God to do something with the prayer that he's called you to say to him. Therefore, watch. Watch God at work. What is he going to do with that prayer? And because he will always do his good, pleasing, and perfect will, we're thankful. And as we pray, we fall more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We align ourselves with God's will. And the more that happens, the more thankful we become. And so that is what it looks like to be, thank- to be watchful and thankful. But then Paul goes on, and he gets specific, and he asks the Colossians to, to partner with him particularly uh, and the people around him in prayer. He says, pray for those of us who are even far off, the workers who are far off. Verse 3 and 4 says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul, he's literally in jail. He's literally chained. He probably literally would like a door to open, right? But he's not asking for that kind of door to open. He's asking for opportunity. An open door means to have an opportunity. You can imagine Paul, he's like sitting there, praying, like writing this stuff to the Colossians. And he's like, pray to God that he will do what he did for me back in Philippi. What he's done in Jerusalem. What he heard about God do through Peter breaking them out of uh, giving them opportunity even while they were in prison. So Colossians, pray to the all-powerful intervening God and ask that God to give us an opportunity. But then he says, as we get that opportunity, pray that I'll proclaim it clearly. Now, that's a very strange thing for Paul to pray because he's written so much of the New Testament, right? He is clear on what the gospel is about. So when he says, pray that I'll proclaim it clearly, he's saying, help me make it clear to those I'm speaking to so that it's clear to them so that they too can come to Jesus. Like say, for example... You loved the theater. Anybody love the theater? A few people. I'm hoping there's some here, surely, that love the theater. You're all shy. That's okay. If you did love the theater, you'd want people to come along with you, right? And to experience the beauty and the drama of it. But say they don't want to. You've got to explain it in a way that's meaningful to them. Like say to me, I don't really like the theater. But say you wanted me to go. You would say, Matt, you know the beauty, the passion, the emotion that you have when you watch a football game. You know, when you watch your favorite player and they do this, they do that, and the team and the emotion and your team wins, that kind of feeling, that's like going to the theater. Now, I might be like, I don't believe you at all, 
but I'm at least intrigued. That made sense to me. I'll go. Right? That's what Paul is saying. He's captivated by Christ, but he wants to t- uh, teach it and share it in a way which is meaningful to others. And so the call for the Colossians and the call for us is very much the same. It's a call to prayer. A call to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the clarity, the right words to say for other people to have the clarity and the right words to say at the right time. Now, a very direct way to initially apply this is to our gospel workers across the world, uh, to people who are, who are sharing the gospel places far from us. Andrew prayed for some before, like Emily and Ado and Claire, Ben, Ali, Jasmine, Tim and Val, who are here with us at the moment. We pray for those who are far off, people that you've got on your fridge, on your corkboard, on your phone, whatever it may be. And if you're like, wondering what to pray for them, Open up Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, and pray that. Pray that directly for them, and pray that they can share Christ in meaningful ways. And then as we think about our whole life, and as we think about prayer more holistically, this passage is calling us to live a vibrant yet routine prayer life. A vibrant yet routine prayer life. Coming to Jesus, coming to God in the authority of Jesus' name. We're asking God to bend the arc of the universe in some way. We're asking him to intervene. And we know, we sing, we declare he's powerful and sovereign in order to do those things. So what is it going to look like for us to be devoted to prayer? How could you do that in your week? How could I do that? What does it specifically look like to be committed and consistent? Now, there's lots of helpful models for prayer. You may have one. You may have tried one in the past. That's great. Try one and give it a go. It could be get up early in the morning to pray. There's a verse, Mark verse 30, 1 verse 35. Jesus, before the sun got up, was early in the morning, went to a solitary place to pray. It could be set aside time in the evening. It might be set aside reminders in your phone. Use an app. There's an awesome app I've started using called The Inner Room. Look it up on whatever app store you go to, The Inner Room. It's a great app in order to encourage a rhythmic routine, but very godly way of praying. Buy a devotion book. Do a prayer journal. There's lots of different things. There's no rules. It could be the routine that Jesus and his disciples did. They followed the Jewish tradition of the routine of morning, midday, and evening prayers. I've recently begun just going for walks, typically in the midday, and I've found that's more helpful for me. I don't get distracted when I'm sitting at my desk or whatever. Go for a walk and pray. It doesn't matter what tool you use. It doesn't matter what kind of rhythm you choose to go about. Do what works for you. There are are no necessarily rules. What matters is that we devote ourselves to prayer. That we devote ourselves to prayer and that we watch God at work. We watch him at work and we're thankful for what he does in the world uh, in and through us. And with that, we can continue in the passage. Paul, he's called the Colossians to pray for an opportunity for them. Now he says to the Colossians, you have the opportunities before you. Engage in them. Engage in the opportunities that you have. And he encourages them to do this. And it all goes along with what it looks like to be a wise witness. To be wise and have wisdom in the way that we share Christ with others. Verse 5. Talking now directly to the Colossians, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how to answer everyone. Now, God is the, the center of wisdom. He owns wisdom. But one definition I've found particularly helpful when it comes to what it looks like to act in a wise way, wisdom is about knowing what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. What, how, and when. When sharing about the truth about Jesus, it's, we have to know the truth. That's essential. That's the what to say part. But just as essential to that is to know how to say it and when to say it. We need to be sensitive to the circumstances and the concerns of the people that we're speaking to and who are around us. Now, Paul in the letter so far has very much established the what to say, especially chapter 1, very clear on what the gospel was about. Here, it's focused on the how and the when. The when is whenever the opportunity arises. Whenever the opportunity arises, be ready, search for, engage, perhaps be in a sense, trying to manufacture the opportunities where it could be possible, but don't force it. Take the opportunities when they're there. That's the when. The how is gracious and salty conversation. Gracious and salty conversation. To be gracious, we talk about grace a lot. In here, it's about the action, putting on the model and the character of Christ. Because at times, the way we act is going to have a lot more weight than what we say. People listen just as much with their eyes as they do with their ears. And we know that. We, we do the same thing. It's all good to have the right words, but if we lose the person in the process, that's, that's no good at all. So, be, so we have to be kind, to be gentle, empathetic, and gracious in the way that we speak to others. The second aspect is to be salty. Paul said to have your conversation seasoned with salt. Now that's a Jewish idiom which basically means keep it interesting. As you talk about Jesus, keep it interesting. Uh, we must share Christ in a way which is attractive and at times provocative. For me, it means to be meaningful. Be meaningful in the way that you share the gospel with others. Like I was saying about the theatre example, but it's got to be in a way that's going to resonate with them. And that's exactly how Jesus went about his mission. He was always wise. He made the most of every conversation. He ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the sinners. He engaged with the sick and the social outcasts. And he changed the way he spoke to them. He changed the way then when he spoke to the leaders and the officials and the Pharisees of Jewish society. He always spoke truthfully, but it was graciously. It was seasoned with salt. It was at times attractive. It was at times provocative. And so friends, you and I too, are to engage in our world in the wise and the winsome words and ways of Jesus. That's what this passage calls us to do. This clearly takes the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us as we, as we do that. It requires us being prayerful and thoughtful and prepared. Thoughtful and prepared as well. Just like if you have a sports team or you have a job at work that you're preparing towards or whatever it may be. Before the moment comes, you've worked hard in preparation in order to do whatever it is you need to do in that moment. The same comes when it's sharing our faith. So in home groups this week, talk about what it looks like specifically. What it actually looks like to share the gospel of Christ in gracious and seasoned with salt ways, meaningful ways. Get specific. Chat with one another. Encourage one another. What does it actually look like to reach your neighbor specifically? We've got the principle here, we've got the command. Encourage one another and wrestle it out. 
But I recognize in so many ways that's much more easier said than done. 100%. In many ways that's easier said than done. And I came across this quote from a Christian um, teacher over in the, in the US, Ed Stetzer. He said, most Christians fail to share Christ regularly for one of two reasons. Either they fear being ostracized for speaking up about Jesus and becoming stigmatized like that guy, or they feel helpless and are afraid to share because they fear they will fail. And I certainly know I've fallen into both those categories at times, and maybe you resonate with them too. I think, friends, when we trust the Word of God here, when we live in the way of Jesus, inspired by the Spirit, in these words here, these principles, making the most of the opportunities, being truthful, remembering that it's God's work, they help mitigate against those fears. And in extension of that, I heard Mike Frost speaking on a podcast once. I recorded his words, and I think it really helpfully articulates what's going on here in Colossians. He said, evangelism is much more like a conversation. It's not usually some big event or occasion or peculiar thing that happens and you go, oh, wow, okay, now I get to talk about Jesus. Rather, it's usually the natural, winsome, conversational way about how I make sense of my world through the lens of the gospel. Friends, we can do that. Sure, it might go along with a better than chocolate event or going to a men's breakfast, but it's the conversations that go along within that and around that that are just as important. So friends, be intentional. Be prepared, prayerful, considered about how we can engage our friends in our own context. Maybe you've got some things working through your mind. I'll just give you a couple of examples. These are not rules, just examples. Say you've got some non-Christian friends coming over for dinner. Um, Get whoever you live with, your mates, your spouse, your kids, if it's just you at home, and pray Colossians 5 and 6 over yourselves and pray for whoever's coming into the room. Just spend a minute. Spend two doing that. When you meet up with a friend for a coffee or sports class, art class, whatever it may be, at work, in between things, have thought through, well, what is meaning for them in their life? What do they share about with me? Last time I spoke with them, how can that relate to the gospel in some way? How can I love them as Jesus would? Now, a super helpful book that really unpacks a lot of practices that is helpful is Sam Chan's How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. It's an awesome book. I'd encourage you to pick it up. We, we can lend it to you if you like. We don't have heaps of copies, but we can photocopy some things. It's an awesome book of what it looks like uh, to engage thoughtfully, prayerfully, in, in a Christ-like way in our world. The other essential practice, and this continues out of the first part, is prayer. We're calling on a spiritual work to happen in someone's life. So call on God, the ultimate power and authority, Now, it's not news if you've been Christians for a while that we say, like, pray for specific people. But I know I need the reminders. It's really helpful to have the reminders. It lapses off my radar, lapses in my discipline. So write down names. Write down a person, three particular people that you can be praying for. Or pull up the names that you you are praying for. That will grow your Christ-like love for them. And we're calling on God to do the work in and through them. And we'll be really engaging the opportunities as they arise. I heard a story about a Christian pastor from the 1800s named D.O. Moody. You may have heard of him. He's, he had an awesome preaching ministry. Um, God worked powerfully through him. But he had a notebook. And in the notebook, he had 100 names of people that he personally knew who didn't know Jesus. 100. And he prayed regularly for them. 
By the time that he died, 96 of them had come to faith. 96. That is ins- that's amazing. I don't know anything close to that. This is an incredible story of the work of God. But then at his funeral, the four people that hadn't come to faith yet came to the funeral and independently came to Christ. That's not Dior Moody's work. That's Dior Moody praying that God will do his work. And friends, I don't say that to be like, well, pray for 100 people and God is going to do 100, bring 100 people to Christ. He may. That's his, that's his provocative. But friends, prayer works. Prayer works. Not because it's our prayer, but because of who we're praying to. It's God's work. It's God's power who's at work. It might not happen exactly how we hoped or how we planned. God calls us to prayer. He calls us to partner with him. So keep bringing people to prayer. Keep laboring. Keep being devoted. And of course, at times, that can feel like a daunting task. In light of all of Colossians, to stand firm for Jesus in a society, and we feel this very much as well, in a society which is passively or actively against Jesus, pulling us away, let alone then having to share him, can feel very isolating. And imagine that's how the Colossians felt too. So Paul, he doesn't end the letter with, okay, I encourage you, let, like, get going. He gives a list of greetings, a list of personal comments that overall says to the Colossians, you're not alone. You're not alone, Colossians. Uh, we're in it together. Verses 7 through to 18 are all about the fellow workers in Christ that are known to them. Now, there's a bit of pragmatic instruction in there. Titicus is coming, Onesimus is coming, you know, all these kind of things. But the overall message is they're not alone. And we get this beautiful picture of a diverse yet very unified church. In verses 7 and 8, we read about Titicus and Onesimus. Literally, they pick up Paul's letter and they take it to Colossae and give it to the Colossians. That's literally their job and they're going to encourage the Colossians when they're there. It's very much a building up mission. Now, Titicus... He's a fellow worker of Paul. He's probably a free Greek man. And so Paul calls him a dear brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant. But then he also talks about a man named Onesimus. Now, we don't read anything more about Onesimus here, but he's also carrying a letter. He's carrying a letter to the man named Philemon, who's of the Colossian church. We read about that, well, we have that letter in, in our Bible. And what we read in that letter is Onesimus is a runaway slave. Philemon's runaway slave, but he has become a follower of Jesus. And I love what Paul says about the description of Onesimus here, precisely for what he misses out. In the same way he said of of Titicus, Onesimus is a faithful and a dear brother. But unlike the free Titicus who's called a fellow servant, Onesimus has no comment of servant at all. And that's not to downplay him in any way, shape or form. There is to be no hint that he is a slave. There's no hint of that. They're one in Christ. This is a beautiful image of a diverse yet social equality community in the kingdom of God. There is no slave or free, all the one in Christ. And then as we continue on, verses 10 through to 14, we get a bunch of greetings from all sorts of people that are known to the Colossians. They're basically saying, hi, I'm with you, kind of vibe. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. They're saying, Colossians, we see you. We're with you. We remember you. 
We're physically far off, but we're with you in spirit. And these people are Duke, uh, Dukes, Jews, Greeks, they're Romans. They represent all of that kind of known society and world at the time. It's a picture of a culturally diverse but unified church. But I want to focus in on one of them in particular, which is Epaphras. Read this one with me. Verse 12. Epaphras, we already know who he is from chapter 1. He's the one who brought the message of Jesus to them originally and kind of planted the church. He said, Epaphras, who is one of you and is a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard. He's working hard for you. Epaphras works in prayer. He's captured the vision of God transforming this area around Colossae. And he labors in prayer. He wrestles in prayer. This is a picture of him being devoted in prayer. Friends, sometimes our prayer life is about our communion with God. Or it's about our confession. It's about something that's more personal. At other times, our prayer is work. We work in prayer. We labor. We intercede for others. Now, the hard thing about when we pray is it feels the exact opposite to that. It feels like it's unproductive. It feels like it can be a bit, well, what happened there? I don't know. It feels like we got nothing done. But read that verse, and that says the exact opposite of that, that we work in prayer, that we can work in prayer. It may be the most necessary and effective thing that we will do all day. And that's why it's worthy of being highlighted by Paul and enshrined in Scripture for us. Then that brings us to the final comments in verse 15 to 18. Paul's comments himself to them. Now, we won't explore the details, but you get the picture already. Paul, he deeply cares for them. He longs for them to continue in the faith. He gives personal greetings and encouragements to some people. And as we kind of look at all that in a whole, we think about our own life, we can know at times we can feel so alone in our walk. So alone, falling and flattering around, whatever it may be, or continuing on the path and feeling isolated. And when someone says, I see you, someone says, I'm praying for you, someone says, I'm with you, that can just go deep into our soul, lifts us up, the perfect notes of an orchestra, whatever it may be, that sense of unity can be the greatest gift of motivation that a person needs. So friends, keep standing with each other. Keep encouraging one another. Think about who our fellow workers are, whether they are literally across the world. If we've sent them or if we partnered with them, whatever that may be. If they're around the corner, they're serving in a school, they're in another church. They're at Mordorley Baps or Riverwood Anglican, they're at Menai Baps or at Irwood Baps, whatever it may be. Or they're in the room. Our fellow workers who are literally in the room in this service, maybe who will sit in it in an hour's time, who will sit it in three hours' time at 2 p.m., who will sit in it at 6 p.m., those of us who are part of Naui Baptist Church. We need to encourage each other, whatever season of life we're in, to stand firm and to keep wisely sharing Christ in the world. And with that, Colossians closes. Our series closes, but it sends us. We're captivated by Christ So we stand firm in him and we share Christ 
with the world. And as we've seen directly in this passage, we prayerfully and we wisely engage with the opportunities we have, longing and praying and hoping that God will do his work. We know he will do his good and pleasing work. We share Christ with the world, knowing that we're not alone. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus. Thank you that he is the supreme one, that he is our saviour and our Lord and also our friend. Father, we thank you that you give us all we need to stand firm in you, to be able to resist whatever kind of temptations, whatever the hollow and deceptive philosophies of the world around us, to live the way of Christ. And Father, as we looked at this passage today, please help us to be motivated to continue to devote ourselves in prayer. And Father, to be wise in the way that we share about Jesus. Please give us that wisdom. We pray these words over us. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters across the world, wherever they may be. Please give them an open door. Give them an opportunity to do what it is that you've called them to do. And give them the right words to say in those moments. Father, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.